Well, ladies, Christmas is right around the corner, and it is lovely to celebrate this season together. But before we get too lost in all of the beautiful wrappings, let's be sure to take some time to enjoy the actual gift that makes this season so special. This gift I'm speaking of is the greatest one ever given. This gift is Jesus, who rightly is to be praised. So let's make time to look back at why we celebrate Christmas in the first place, to a night that brought us the humble birth of a promised baby boy, the birthday of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On a normal night, some 2,000 years ago, something miraculous happened. The creator of the universe, the very word that spoke all things into existence, entered his own creation as a helpless babe. Ladies, think of it. Our Lord Jesus Christ, lying meekly in a manger of hay, with very few people understanding the significance of what was going on. Although our Lord's birth was a private affair, it was not a silent one. For on a nearby hill, masses of angels were evangelizing the shepherds with the good news of the Savior's birth. If you have your Bible, you could turn to Luke chapter 2, and starting at verse 11 through 14, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In his book, God in the Manger, The Miraculous Birth of Christ, Pastor John MacArthur says the following about this heavenly announcement. The supernatural announcement that cold night near Bethlehem was truly the high point of redemptive history to that time. The angel's message was nothing less than the good news. The gospel proclaimed with great joy. God's messengers could not wait to proclaim to the shepherds that the world that at last the Savior was here, the one who would deliver his people from the curse of sin, death, and hell, and who would bring them the blessings of his kingdom and the glories of eternal life in heaven. So let's focus in on what this announcement is and who it's for. First, I bring you good news. The angel was saying, in essence, I evangelize you, or I bring you the gospel. We understand about evangelism because Jesus would later tell his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. But here, here was the first time that promise of reconciliation was given in Jesus' lifetime. Second, of great joy. This is tremendously great news being announced. So great, in fact, that one angel wasn't going to be enough to announce it fully. A multitude of angels was about to appear and magnify the Lord. Lastly, for all the people. This is the ripple effect that Jesus would one day speak of in Acts 1.8. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The angel was declaring that the good news of the gospel was meant first for Israel to hear, and was then to spread all the way to the Gentiles. The declaration of the gospel was coming about just as God had promised over the ages. In the Garden of Eden, God had said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That was in Genesis 3.15. Spoken of Abraham. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Genesis 18.18. And to David. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Second Samuel 7.16. God's salvation had come, and the angel was about to tell the shepherds where to find it. Or should I say, how to find him, because salvation isn't found in a process, but in a person. The angel didn't say, here are the additional things that you need to do to earn salvation from God. Instead, he said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The good news of salvation is bound up in this Savior. And at that moment, the Savior was swaddled up, a humble babe at rest, and yet a visual proof of God's faithfulness. Romans 5, 8-11 speaks of God's plan of salvation. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Now let's take a closer look at the name of the Savior in this heavenly declaration. If you're familiar with the messages that the angel brought personally to Mary and Joseph, you know that this baby in the manger is in fact Jesus. But the angel didn't tell the shepherds that. Instead, he gave them the title, Christ the Lord. Let's look first at the title, Christ. Pastor MacArthur says, Whenever this term was used in biblical times, it signified that an ultimate authority was anointing someone and placing him in a very high office. In Jesus' case, the ultimate authority who anointed him was his father. Therefore, Jesus, being called the Christ, indicates that he is God's anointed king. In gracious love and mercy, God chose him to be our Messiah, the Christ. Not only is Jesus called the Christ, he is also called Lord. This is a term that can be used among people to denote a leader or someone of high position, but the angel was denoting something above this. Again, Pastor MacArthur says, To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that he is first and foremost God. The ultimate lawful authority of the universe, of course, is God. So the angel was saying, Jesus is lawfully Lord because of who he is the Son of God. This is very much in line with what the prophet Isaiah said in 
uh, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a Savior, a Son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. This brings us back around to that heavenly chorus in Luke chapter 2. They're declaring peace on earth. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What exactly is this peace that is implied? In verse 14, some translations say, Goodwill towards men. However, the ESV translates it, with whom he is pleased. And this phrasing helps us to see that peace on earth is not when all of mankind has goodwill towards one another, but rather true peace on earth is when we, who were once enemies of God, have been reconciled to him by his own good pleasure. Pastor MacArthur says, First, on earth peace does not refer to peace of mind, rest for the weary, or absence of wars. The angels meant peace with God that results from genuine salvation. Because his son has brought reconciliation, we no longer need to be God's enemies. The angels were praising the Father and giving him glory in heaven because he sent salvation down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And ladies, this is why we celebrate Christmas. The world may try to commercialize this holiday, and we may become overly frazzled in this season. But ladies, we must never forget the true meaning of Christmas. By listening to the angel's announcement, we can remember that Jesus' birthday was good news of great joy for all the people. That he is Christ and Lord, and as our Savior, true peace on earth and goodwill towards men has come. So, how are we to respond? In the same way that the shepherds did. Let's seek out the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let's bow our knees in submission and praise. And let's proclaim to those who are missing the wonder of it all, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas, ladies. And you'll find on your table a discussion sheet. And there's a few questions there. We'll have a time of discussion, and then we'll sing. And then I would like to introduce... Um, Rose Walker, her mom, Brenda, and her daughter, Angels. Welcome. So uh, I have a privilege to share with you today on something I've been working on for a long time. Years ago, we have a women conference and um, here at Hope Bible Church, and we have a speaker named Susan Heck. Remember that? Some of you remember her? She came to share about Bible memorization. So it stuck with me, and from that on, I've been memorized scripture. And the book of Ephesians is where I started. So I love to challenging each one of you to find a partner that can memorize scripture with you. So my partner and I just finished the book of Ephesians. And um, wait, 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 don't go too far. Only chapter one. <laughs> Only chapter one. I'm not finished a book of fishing yet, but I'll continue chewing, chewing on it. So um, I have opportunity to um, meditate and think a lot about this uh, for the last um, years of memorized Ephesians. 
So if you kind open the Bible with me on Ephesians 1, we're going to read verse 3 to 14. Let me ask God to bless us. Father God, help us before you open your word that our heart will be ready to hear your word and our heart will be, um, give us wisdom and insight of your word that we will know the Lord Jesus Christ even more than we know him now. In your son's name, amen. Let me read verse 3 and to verse 14. And every time I come to the first, like, um, I think, uh, verse 14, and then um, any other verse that have praise, to the praise of His glory, I want you to say it out loud with me. Ready? Blessed be the God, the Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as Son through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in His beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to the kind intention which He purposed in Him, with, in the view to administration suitable to the fullness of time that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be the, the praise of His glory, to the in Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, having to believe, we also seal in Him with the Holy Spirit promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, to the view to the redemption of God's own possession. Yes, for this reason I too. So I'm not going to read further that. I'm going to let you read further than that. So, we're going to stop right there. Second page, here you go. So in book Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, it gives us extensive view of God's plan of redemption from the beginning to the future, right? And do you know that you are the part of that grand plan? Do you believe? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Ephesians 1, will share the love of God toward us who believe. The Bible said that God has blessed us in verse 3 with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Let's see how many of those blessings we can identify in Ephesians 1. Ready? First, the first one is on verse 4. Lay your eye on verse 4. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Do you realize that God chose us regard, regardless of our ability, our status, our personality, God chose us because of His own choice, pleasure, and will, right? Why? So that we would be holy and blameless before Him. You think that God ever, if God never chose us before the foundation of the world, what would be? Never, we would never be holy or blameless. Do you know that what spiritual status we'll be in? Let's take a peek of Ephesians chapter 2, 
verse one to three. What it say? <coughs> We are dead in our trespasses and sin. We walk in the spirit of son of disobedience. We live in the lust of our flesh. We indulging the desire of our flesh and of our mind. If we never got chosen, that's what we are, forever, for eternity. I don't know about you, but the fact that fact fill my heart with gratitude towards Christ. Wouldn't that be? I'm the only child. Our family of five. God chosen, not by my choice, by God's glory. Right now, let's see what other blessing we have. Lay your eye on verse five. He predestined us to adoption as son through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He be freely bestowed on us and His beloved. God adopted us into His family, predestined us. When we adopt into God's family, God give us God. We give in God's nature. That's why we're growing more like the Savior Jesus Christ after we've been saved, right? If you want to understand more, there's a sermon that given two weeks ago. It called. It say a. It's called what that sermon called? Adoption into God family. And you know, notice that God did this according to His kind intention of His will. God, God is kind towards us. This is a free gift for us through Christ. We praise God for His grace towards those who believe, isn't it? Let's lay your eyes on verse seven. In Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. Pastor John MacArthur said, "Redemption through His blood is a term used for relate to paying a required ransom to God for release a person in bondage. You were bonded in sin, right?" Christ's sacrifice on the cross paid that price for every elect person enslaved by sin, buying them out of the slave market of iniquities. The price of redemption was death. Christ had to die to pay for our sin and death. The forgiveness of trespass means redemption brings you limitless grace and. Of God and forgiveness of sin, and that's not enough. That's not enough. We have inheritance in Christ. Look at verse eleven. In Him we also have an inheritance, have been predestined according to His purpose, who work all things after the counsel of His will. I can read you First Peter one and three to four. Say this. Blessed be the God, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, have caused us to be born again, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. 
already happened, lady. We're not failed. We'll not be stolen. Every one of us children of God have an inheritance. It's not our work. It's all God's work. And God, all this in His perfect will. And then, not enough. We have the power in Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul prayed for us that we would know what is surpassing greatness. Verse 19 and 20. That's why the Apostle Paul prayed that we would know that the surpasses greatness of God's power towards us who believe. These are the following words, working of the strength of his mind, which he brought through in, about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. We are given the power that raised Christ from the dead to give God's glory by living a holy and blameless life. We will understand our position in Christ. And we're striving to live a life that brings honor and glory to the name of Christ will be the praise of His glory. Not perfect, but on the right direction, with the right heart attitude, with a lot of what? Confession and repentance to God. So now you see that the babe, Jesus Christ, in the manger is part of God's big plan. To reconcile God and man. Where Christ is now seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. And every name that is named. Not on this age, but also in the one to come. So that's reason why we say to the praise of God glory. Amen. Question. Yes. We have questions for you. On your table, there are discussion questions. And there are three of them. Number one is, can you name one of the blessings we have in the book Ephesians 1? And whom are planning to share the gospel with this Christmas? And what are your treasure you, most, you treasure most in your heart about Christ? Have a 10-minute discussion, ladies. Have fun. Good morning, ladies. My name, again, is Colleen. I was in Home Goods this week, and when I was in one of the aisles in the back, I noticed a really weird smell. <laughs> Could not quite put my finger on what that smell was, but wanted nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact... I kind of went the opposite direction. Thought I forgot something over there. Was like, nope, I'm not going back. I'm done. <laughs> On the other hand, I walked into a craft show a couple of weeks ago, and I was immediately hit by the smell of cinnamon, nuts, sugar, and vanilla. Uh-huh. Needless to say, there was no running away from that side of the building. I wanted to be there, so I hung around for a while, basking in that aroma. That's a little bit of an analogy as we look at what Paul tells the Corinthians in 2.14. Listen to what he says. He says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal uh, procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That's pretty amazing. Can you imagine that because of your presence, 
the fragrance of the knowledge of God spreads everywhere to the glory of God. I like talking to people like that, people who love the Lord, people who know him, people who obey him, and who desire to glorify him in all that they do. I think we all know people like that, and we're all drawn to them. But how does that happen? How did some of the mature women of faith sitting in this room come to be women who live lives that glorify God? How did the older women here at Hope, who are mentoring the younger women here at Hope, how did they come to a place where they desire to glorify God in that way? More to the point, how do we become women who desire to glorify God? Nothing more and nothing less. Quite simply, we abide in him. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The women that we've spoken about, the women, that, the people that we like to be around, they abide in him. They sit before the Lord, they pour out their hearts to him, they read his word and they do what he says. They seek after him. They desire for him to be seen and not them. They want him to be glorified in their lives. They do not want nor do they seek the glory. And that's true no matter what's going on in their lives, especially this time of year. When we seek to glorify him, Laura Whistler tells us, the cake can burn, the kids can act like crazy people, and the book can tear. Yet we can rejoice and respond graciously as we model the gospel to those around us, even when our traditions don't go as planned. Because all those activities do not make us right with God. Christ already has. This time of year when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, it can be a time when we're tempted by so many things. So much so that glorifying God kind of gets put back here somewhere. Katie Blackburn wrote, All of the things that we enjoy doing around the holidays, the traditions, the gifts, the pictures, the memory making, these are all common graces from a good God who gives good gifts, but they are not necessities. When we elevate our expectations so highly that we end up bitter every time they're not met, we fail to see the obvious point of Christmas. Jesus came to rescue us because we will never be able to meet the expectations. We will never meet the holy, righteous requirements of God. And we don't have to, because Jesus did. His arrival in this world set in motion the most miraculous, almost too good to be true rescue plan. And because of that rescue, we have a living hope. And that's what we celebrate. That's why we do what we do for his glory. While you're striving this season to make it special, full of meaning and family traditions, remind yourself of this. Not one of our family members, not one of our friends need a perfect Christmas. They need a perfect Savior. That's what they need. Every unmet expectation, every holiday frustration, every tear or argument is a chance for us to show people we need our hearts to be rescued. 
there are opportunities to truly show the only place we will find that rescue in life, death, in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The glamour and lights and endless Instagram possibilities will be fighting even harder for our attention this time of year. But let's fix our eyes on the only thing that will ever be perfect, our good and gracious King. He is worthy. He alone is worthy. And remember, remember this, because this is really, really important. We do not do this alone. Right now, listen to what John MacArthur says. Right now, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says, ever living to make intercession for us. Our blessed Christ himself is constantly, constantly and unceasingly praying for us, always according to God's will and purpose, and always with the appropriate answer from God himself. What a promise we have. The mediation of Jesus Christ, his work, his intercession on our behalf, is as real and indispensable as his death and resurrection. It was his death and resurrection that gave us life. It is his intercession that sustains that life. The ongoing interceding work of Jesus Christ before the throne of God often is in response to the accusations of Satan, who is continually before the throne of God, accusing the brethren, us, us. Because he is there in his interceding, it sustains our salvation and our eternal life and brings us from justification through sanctification to glory. I think sometimes as believers we tend to think that the greater work of Christ is done in the past, and now he can sort of relax a bit, but that's not so. He ever lives with an ongoing involvement in our lives and a never-ceasing intersection on behalf of every child of God. Ladies, as you go through this season, look, I'm in the thick of it too, okay? I know what it's like. Family, friends, grandkids, parties, work. I know. I know how busy it can get. But remember, he is not only in us. He is for us. He is our hope. He is our strength. As we lean on him, as we rely on him, as we cry out to him and abide in his word. Yes, five minutes of abiding in his word will bring forth fruit tenfold. It's amazing. It's am he's amazing. And we will then be a fragrant aroma to those around us giving glory to Christ. He promises and he is faithful and true to all of his promises. To God be the glory, ladies. On your table, you have a question. Please take a look, answer the question amongst yourselves, and would one of you please prayerfully close out your table in prayer for the request. God bless you all.